Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. Well, I have always been intrigued by what I like to call the power of connection. And by what I mean by that, the power of connection is how everything fits together and how everybody's actions lead to other people's actions and how your response leads to a response in someone else or just how interconnected we truly are as a people. Just one day this last week, I was having uh, my morning coffee, which let's be real, is a very important part of my day. And I uh, I was thinking about all that it took to actually make that moment happen. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, because I grind the beans and I hit the button, and with full reality of the fact that there's a lot of people that had a part in making this cup of coffee come to life. And so I was looking at this cup of coffee, and I started thinking about the farmers. And I was like, there are people who grew these beans. And then I started thinking about their life, and I'm like, I wonder if they're married. Do they have kids? And then I started thinking about all the people who were a part of the production, and then the, uh, the roasting of the beans, and then, of course, the bringing it to market. And I, I began to kind of realize this, this moment that I need slash enjoy in my morning was much bigger than just me. Now, maybe you don't ever stop to think about that and your brain is not filled with all of the useless jargon that mine is. But sometimes in those moments, I realize there's so many more connections than I am aware of. It's pretty cool to realize how much work went into making that cup of coffee happen. Some of you know a little bit about my background. I have a background in event planning, meaning that I can never and will never attend an event without thinking about all the people that it took to make that happen. In fact, for those of you that have never been in charge of anything or you've never planned anything, it sometimes seems really seamless to you that all of these things happen, but you fail to realize that there are months of planning that go into just one particular event happening. It takes so many people to pull off something that an average attendee may just take for granted. See, there's something that happens when you take the time to try and dissect all the parts and connect all the dots. And it's been my experience that there's usually a newfound appreciation for the end result because you realize the power of connection. And you realize all the connections that had to happen and all the alignment that had to come together for that moment to become a reality. 
as I have journeyed in full-time ministry for the last 15 years, all of which have been right here at Rolling Hills Community Church, one of the things that has stuck out to me over my ministry, not only those 15 years, but the 20 years that we have been around as a church, is how time and time again, God has led and connected and brought everything together exactly like he wanted it for his glory and his purposes. And I hope and pray that when you look at your own life, that you'll take time to just stop and realize all of the connections that had to happen in your life to get you where you are now. Maybe there's some incredible spiritual steps that you have taken, and you know that those did not happen in a vacuum. Those happened in a way that were, that were many people speaking into those moments. And for all of you who are here for the very first time today, and you've walked into this room and you're wondering, what is this church all about? I want you to know that you're not here by accident. And in fact, people have been praying for you long before we ever knew you. We've been praying for the people who would call Rolling Hills home, regardless if we knew their names now or not. All of those moments are the results of what I like to call the little things and the big things coming together. The things that others have already done, connections that others have made. I love the celebrations that we have here at Rolling Hills. Baptism is a beautiful celebration. But do you know that nobody goes under that water with a story of isolation? There's people who have spoken into their lives and people who have connected them. I love when I hear about marriages that are being saved. But you realize that a marriage being saved didn't happen in a black hole. There were people that had to step into their lives, connections that had to be made. And when you stop to think about that, I hope that that makes you grateful and gives you a grateful perspective. But even more importantly, that that would kind of catapult you into saying, you know what, I want to yearn to be a part of the story as well. I want to be one of those dots that help connections happen, to help connect the dots for others to set the stage for all that is to come. We find ourselves at a very exciting place today where you are invited to be a part of the story. And we're asking for you to boldly be a part of the story, to commit to what's next, realizing that your obedience and your faithfulness matters. And so we're inviting you to be a part of a journey today and ultimately asking you and have been asking you over the past couple of months to trust God to show you what's next. And I'm so excited that you are here. And I can't wait to see what God does today as we just simply make ourselves available for him. So will you join me in prayer and ask God to do what only he can do today in your heart and in all of our lives together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together. We're grateful for just your presence. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do. And pray that you would be honored and glorified as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. Well, today is a day uh, that we've been looking forward to and praying about for months. It's Commitment Sunday for this next initiative where we're setting our sights on this next 20 years of ministry here at Rolling Hills. And I do hope and pray that you have caught a piece of that vision and that you're ready today to say, I want to be all in. And we're hopeful that 100% of you who call Rolling Hills home will say, I want to be a part of this. And it's not about an equal part, but a sacrificial part in that. And here across our campuses, particularly at Nolansville, we have some amazing projects that we want to see come to fruition that will take all of us. We want to connect these two buildings together and take our old auditorium that's behind you and turn it into Connection Center, a place where gatherings can happen and student ministry can happen and where you can kind of have a place uh, to, to greet one another and classes and our staff offices will move over there. We have a community center that we're seeking to open 10 miles from where we're seated right now at the Haywood Hills campus in South Nashville to be able to provide so many ministry opportunities for those in our community. Across all of our campuses, we have some incredible work, amazing projects that you've heard about and that we hope that you will want to be a part of. And through this initiative and through this series, we've been unpacking this story of Nehemiah. 
And Nehemiah is so fitting for where we are as a church because Nehemiah had this call to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was this Israelite leader who received a call to do something that was scary. And he wasn't necessarily equipped for that. This call required a huge amount of sacrifice on Nehemiah's part. And what does Nehemiah do? He says yes. And he goes and he cast vision to those around him and told everyone to be involved. And he led them, very imperfect people, to accomplish a task. And what was happening in the time of Nehemiah's leadership His leadership was happening in the face of ridicule and opposition and naysayers. So much of what you may feel like at times. You may be feeling like you're saying yes to God and it's being met with opposition. Or you're saying yes to God and instead of other people around you being excited about what God's doing in your life, they're putting a big wet blanket on that. And that's where Nehemiah was operating under. And he was leading, but yet he was a man who was called to pray. And he was called to invest, and he prayerfully led his people. And our hope and our prayer is that you will draw godly inspiration from how he lived and that you will respond to God. So we pick up today and kind of looking at the closing of Nehemiah, meaning it's chapters 9 all the way through 13. And I'm not going to have time to unpack all of it. But what has happened prior to this moment is that the wall has been rebuilt. That's what he said yes to, to rebuilding the wall. And it took Nehemiah and, according to Scripture, 49,942 others— <laughs> 52 days to accomplish this task. That wall had sat in disarray for 70 years. And Nehemiah and 49,000 and change (laughs) said yes. And the continual restoration of the temple was something that was on their hearts and minds and the walls around it, 52 days it was built. And now they turn to restoring the people because now all the people are here. Maybe this has happened to you before where you've made a big goal and you said that goal out loud and then you realize, "Uh uh-oh, we got to do something about that. Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe you've assembled your team together. Some of you who lead teams, January 1 is coming up and you're really excited. It's the start of a new year and you have new goals for your team and you write those goals down. And on January 2nd, everybody comes back from the holiday and they're looking at you and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I have to put this into practice now. We have these huge goals, and now this team is here to help me bring those goals to reality. I've got to motivate them now. Well, it says in chapter 9 that the Israelites had gathered together, and they had heard the word of God, they had read the law of God, and they had dedicated the wall, and they had dedicated the temple, and they began to reflect on how good God is and all that he had done for them. And that's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse, or chapter nine, verse 4 through 6. So standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenanai, and they cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you give life to everything, and the multitudes of the heavens worship you. So you have these priests who have said yes to God, and they are looking at their people who have also said yes to God, and they say, stand up and give him praise because he has been so good to us in the past, and we know he will be good to us in the future, so give him praise. And it says that God is from everlasting to everlasting, meaning that God was working then, 
God's going to work now, and God is going to work in the future. That phrase, everlasting to everlasting, kind of gives you some insight and a reminder that God always calls specific people to accomplish specific works at specific times. And that's what he has done here. Now, you were not called as an instrument for this moment here in Nehemiah. Why? Because you weren't alive yet. But you are called for this moment right now. But Kadmiel, Bani, and Shebaniah, and all those other names that are really hard to pronounce, they are not called for this moment. Why? Because their moment was then, and our moment is now. So what does that mean? You see this here on your notes if you want to kind of follow along and fill in some of these notes on your worship guide. What that means for us is that we all stand on the faithful shoulders of others, don't we? We all stand on the faithful shoulders of others. These 49,000 people are drawing inspiration from the generations before them. And we read the story of Nehemiah, and we draw inspiration from it. And we know there are others in our life that have guided us that we draw inspiration from. And prayerfully, our impact will be felt beyond us. And other people in generations following us will be inspired by the way that we live lives of obedience. If I throw some names out here, these names probably don't mean anything to you. David Hale, Sheila Hale, Jean Parr, John Barron, Janine Bozeman. Those names mean nothing to you, but those main names mean everything to me. Because those are some of the most significant shoulders that I'm standing up on. People in my life that have guided me and that have helped me. And I hope and pray that you have a list that you could name of people's shoulders that you are standing up on. And through your obedience, I hope you realize that the list will just keep growing. And the people's lives that you will impact will become more and more significant. Whether you realize it or not, that's actually what next is all about. We've put some projects in front of you. We've put some things in front of you that we're excited, that we believe will help us as we continue to uh, fulfill the call that God has placed up on our life. But the projects and the buildings, they're just tools. Because we don't build churches. We build buildings, and you are the church that inhabits a building. This is a building you're the church living it out. See, that's what these projects are all about. It's why that next one who will be reached for Jesus Christ is why we should always have that on the forefront of our mind. And I hope and pray as you're seeking to make a commitment for God that you would realize that that's the most important, that that's the highest thing on your radar right now is who is that next one? Who is that next person that I can reach for Jesus Christ? But here's something you got to realize about people. We're people. We're seeking to reach people. I hope this does not burst anybody's bubble, but people are broken. <laughs> You're broken, and we are broken people who go seek to reach other broken people, meaning we're in need of a Savior. And God sent Jesus to save us and to make us whole. But we have this sinful nature that continually needs to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And back in Nehemiah's day, the Israelites were in need of being saved. They were in need of being reminded that they were to be conformed more and more to the image of God. And all throughout chapters 9 through 13, which I hope that you'll read and study a little bit later, the Israelites, they had remembered what God had done. They had remembered his faithfulness. In fact, they came together and they acknowledged the law of God. They acknowledged how good God was. In fact, they stated to God, go read it for yourself, right in 9 through 13, they stated to God, God, we are for you. Nothing will ever come in between us and our relationship to you. This is specifically what they promised God. They had kind of four specific things that they promised God that they would not do. 
They've had this awesome moment. They've rebuilt the temple. They've dedicated the wall. They're seeking to now lead others. And they said, God, we will not do these things. We will not give our daughters to foreign marriages. They promise not to buy or sell things on the Sabbath. They promise to give their offerings to God. And they promise not to neglect the house of God. So Nehemiah completes the task. They dedicate the wall. He goes back to Babylon for a little bit. And then a little bit later, he returns back to Jerusalem, keeping in mind all of the commitments that the Israelites had made. And guess what Nehemiah finds when he gets back to Jerusalem? They had given their daughters to foreign marriages. They had been buying and selling on the Sabbath. They had not brought their offerings to God, and they had neglected the house of God. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah starts to pray. And he starts praying for the people. Scroll forward to verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, and listen to this prayer. In chapter 13, verse 14, I should say, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah says, God, remember me for what I have done. I have tried my best to lead your people with their brokenness and with my flaws. And I got, got to pray that you would continue to do what only you can do in our midst. See, Nehemiah wasn't perfect. And the people he was leading were not perfect. And you and I will not be perfect. You can make a commitment to the next campaign today, and that doesn't mean that all your sin is going to automatically, just radically, never be an issue for you again. You can step out in faithfulness to God, and it doesn't mean that the things that you struggle with are just going to go bye-bye. It doesn't mean that perfection is going to come in your life when you make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is that you grow in your obedience. And when you grow in your obedience, it helps you to be more and more faithful, which means that you can always be more likely that you'll conform to the image of God than you will conform to the image of this world. But I love what Nehemiah does here because he realizes that there's a problem. He's going to course correct that problem, but in true Nehemiah fashion, he does what Nehemiah does all throughout the book of Nehemiah. He prays. He prays. He gets discouraged, and he prays, and he says, remember me, God, for what I have done. So maybe you need to hear this this morning. It's possible that there's somebody here that needs to hear this this morning. The Lord sees what you do for him. The Lord sees you. The Lord sees what you do for him. The Lord sees those humble gifts that you bring from a place of sacrifice. The Lord hears those prayers that you offer for your friends and your family that are far from God. The Lord sees that. And honestly, shouldn't that be enough? (laughs) Isn't it enough to know that that's the goal of our life, that the Lord sees us and the Lord knows the motivation of our heart. The Lord knows what we seek to do. So Nehemiah asks God to remember him and remember my faithfulness, Lord. And then Nehemiah turns to the crowd. And this is what he says to the crowd in verses 15 through 18. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine and grapes and figs and all their kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. 
Nehemiah looks at the crowd and he said, you said you weren't going to buy and sell on the Sabbath. And I come back to Jerusalem and it looks like a Walmart in here. People have come from far and wide to buy and sell their wares. You said you weren't going to desecrate the Sabbath. You said you weren't going to buy and sell. And he comes back and he sees how closely they have aligned themselves with the ways of the world, opposed to separating themselves from what it is the world has for them or the story the world tells them. Back in verse 18, Nehemiah says, didn't your ancestors do the same things? So that our God brought all this calamity on us and all this city. Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Don't you remember what happened to your ancestors when they bought and sold on the Sabbath? Calamity came up on them. And here you are doing the same thing. You have forgotten what God said. Nehemiah says, you were so quick to praise God, and you were so quick to praise God and say, God, thank you for bringing our ancestors through the desert for 40 years, and their shoes never wore out. And God, we will never trust ourselves more than we trust you. And Nehemiah finds that they have gone and trusted themselves more than God. You drifted right to where you said you wouldn't. Now, he also says you can recollect all the struggles that have come up on you because of your disobedience, struggles such as your city being destroyed, your wall being torn down, you having to be exiled to a foreign land. Hello, go read Nehemiah 1 through 9. What happened to the Israelites was a direct result of their disobedience. And Nehemiah is saying, how quickly you forget that when you're disobedient to God, that there are calamities that come your way. And you've chosen to do the same thing again. So here's a word of wisdom for all of us. This is a big takeaway for all of us today. Avoid spiritual amnesia at all costs. Okay, I'm going to unpack this for you. Avoid spiritual amnesia at all costs. What do I mean by this? Well, I'm a child of the 80s. And back in the 80s, it seemed like that everybody on TV had this accident. And they woke up from an accident and they couldn't remember anything. That was a storyline of every show in the 80s. I mean, so much so that I thought it would be something that I would really struggle with at some point in my life. Like, I thought at some point in my 40s, I am going to go to sleep and wake up and know no one. I also thought that I would need to be reminded to stop, drop, and roll a lot more than I have needed that in my life. I hope and pray I never need that. But school and TV and movies and assemblies helped us, helped us remember that. You know, if you're ever on fire, stop, drop, and roll. But I thought this would be a huge issue for me, but it hasn't happened yet. But from a spiritual perspective, I think a lot of us struggle with a big case of spiritual amnesia. What do I mean by that? We forget all the time all of the ways that God has provided for us when we trust him. We forget all of the ways that God has provided. I think we also forget the challenges that we have endured when we have taken matters into our own hands. And Nehemiah is trying to help the people understand that. That's why he's saying, avoid forgetting the amazing things that God has done in your life. And when you are presented with opportunities to say yes to God, or when you're presented with an opportunity like next, for example, to just say, God, I trust you. I mean, for the sake of an example, when have you trusted God with your finances in the past when that didn't work out well for you? Or when have you trusted God in a situation that seemed impossible? And you said, God, I know that it seems impossible, but I'm going to trust you have you ever had a moment when you trusted God more than yourself that he didn't show up and do something that you didn't expect or that was immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine? So why would it be any different today as we seek to trust God? 
Last week, uh, I had a couple really cool ministry moments. And these moments where uh, I realized just how good God is. Last Wednesday, I had a phone call with a guy here in our church, uh, and the conversation was about baptism. And so we connected on the phone about uh, baptism. Pretty early in the conversation, it became apparent to me that uh, what the conversation was about was about Jesus. And so we began to talk more and more about Jesus in this conversation. We talked about the gospel. And uh, this gentleman that I was talking to was driving home from work as we were having this conversation. But God was working in this conversation. The Holy Spirit was convicting him of sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he made a profession of faith in Christ while driving home from work. All glory to God. And then we transitioned the conversation back to baptism, which was the original reason for the call. And he said, I want to be baptized next Sunday. I'm ready. And so we baptized Chase last Sunday. He's actually sitting over here to my right. And what a celebration. And his wife told me... Absolutely. His wife told me, this is something I've been praying for for years. Praise God. All glory to God. And then on Thursday, I went to visit with a new family from our church who had been given a really dire report about their newborn baby. Their newborn baby had been born with a collapsed lung and wasn't breathing. And up on birth was immediately placed on a ventilator. This is unimaginable for a parent to have to think about. The dad's exact words to me is, she is fighting for her life. So we did all that we knew to do. We prayed. And our staff began praying, and our prayer teams began praying. And at some point between that Sunday and the following Thursday, her little body began to do what God designed it to do. And so sitting there in that NICU room at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, the determination was made to see if they could begin weaning this baby off of a ventilator to see what would happen. And within a matter of seconds... As that ventilator was turned down, her little nostrils started flaring, and her little chest started rising and falling. And we got to watch as she took her first breaths on her own as a one-week-old baby. And at this point, the baby's eyes had also not really opened since birth because she had been on life support. And after her breathing started to normalize, we gathered around that baby, and we placed our hands on that baby. And as we were thanking God and asking God for a miracle her little eyes opened. And I knew in that moment it was a miracle. But I thought, I'm a pastor, I just think everything's a miracle probably. But I heard the medical team, the doctors and the nurses who were in that NICU room start using the word miracle to describe what we had just seen. And I began to cry. And I began to thank God for his healing. And I began to thank God for him hearing the prayers of his people and to celebrate with a family who goes from one week to say, we're not sure this baby is going to live to where they sent me a message yesterday that said, we are now home. See? That's a good week in ministry, by the way. If you're a pastor, that's two really good days. But wouldn't you know, two to three days after that, I allowed my own securities to start creeping back in and the enemy started sowing seeds of doubt in my life again. Seeds of doubt that sound like you're not a good husband, you're not a good dad, you can't be the pastor that God wants you to be. In fact, you're a terrible leader. This next initiative that you've been preaching about, it's not going to work. <laughs> People are not going to get behind it. People are not going to care. In fact, the church is probably not going to make it. Everybody's going to leave. Those are all things that I can so easily fall prey to. Those are all things that the enemy will sow into your mind. But do you know what that is a case of? That is a result of spiritual amnesia. 
That is forgetting that we serve a God who raised dead people back to life. And that is forgetting that we have a Savior who died for us when we were broken. He conquered death. Jesus conquered death so that us dead people could walk in the newness of life. So if you're struggling to trust him today, do me a favor. Remember what he's already done in your life and allow that to catapult you into the next part of your journey. Now, Nehemiah automatically corrected the Israelites. He helped them to see God's hand at work. And then he guessed Or you guess what he decided to do next? He prayed. (laughs) He continues to pray in these moments. Look at two more prayers in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 22, and then in verse 29. He says, Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And then in verse 29, Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. He says, Show me mercy, God, and help me to stay the course. And then he looks at the people, and he says, And remember them, God, because they have defiled the office that you called them to. Help me, God, to stay faithful, and help them, God, to move towards faithfulness. Nehemiah is this incredible visionary tale of leadership. It's such a good book on leadership. It's why we pick it all the time to talk about leadership. But do you know what else Nehemiah is? Nehemiah is also a cautionary tale of character. One of the subtexts of the book of Nehemiah, and you see it here on the screen, is that terrible things happen when work and vision outpace character. Terrible things happen in our lives when the work and the vision outpace the character. See, Nehemiah had chosen to start with character, and his character was shaped through trials and uncertainty and obstacles and sacrifice. Nehemiah had made that determination to allow his character to lead him before that sacrifice was ever needed. And it's been our prayer that that has happened in your life and that that will continue to happen in your life. And Nehemiah led this incredible movement and he rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. It was the same walls that Jesus would come and stand on and the same steps that Jesus and the church would be launched from, the church would be set in motion. See, Nehemiah was a huge part of the story that we're continuing to write today. And just like God set aside a specific group of people for a specific task back then. He has set aside a specific group of people for a specific task now, meaning that the ball is now in our court. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you want your legacy to look like what the world says is important? Or do you want your legacy to look like what God says is important? It's a choice, a determination we have to make. Do I want my legacy to look like what the world says is important or what God says is important? Because Nehemiah prays at the end of this book, the last recorded words, remember me with favor, my God. Remember me with favor, my God. Nehemiah's greatest desire was to be remembered with favor by God. Nehemiah, in fact, knew that a legacy is crafted way before anybody starts asking about your legacy. A legacy is formed way before the legacy is actually needed. So if you want to kind of have a legacy that looks like what the world says is important, if you want to leave a worldly legacy, then I'm going to tell you this morning how to do that, okay? If you want to leave a worldly legacy, then change nothing about your life. (laughs) Just make life all about you. Don't change anything. Don't sacrifice anything. Don't call your kids anything challenging. Always look for reasons to not do something. Start from a place of criticism every time. Hoard up everything from yourself. Eat, drink, and be merry, and you will accomplish quite beautifully a worldly legacy. But if you want a God-honoring legacy, 
my friends, a lot is going to be asked of you. And a lot is going to be asked of me. If I want to leave a God-honoring legacy, meaning it's a daily determination to say, I'm going to live for God. And I'm going to take up my cross daily. And I'm going to follow him. But I believe that there is joy that comes when I do that. I believe that there's joy that comes in serving others. I believe that there's joy that comes in being generous. And here's what I know. Because this is God's equation, specifically when it comes to the ways we serve and the ways that we're generous. This is God's equation. Your generosity always makes a bigger difference than you can imagine. Your faithfulness always makes a bigger difference than you can imagine. I think about every person in the last 20 years that has faithfully supported capital campaigns like we have been talking about the last few weeks here in the life of Rolling Hills. And I think about each of those people. Each of those people are very significant parts of the story. I think about the campuses that we have expanded. I look around and I think about this building that we're sitting in right now that we're using for ministry. We're using to reach people for Jesus Christ. This was made possible through the generosity of single moms and kids and retired people and preschool parents and teenagers giving generously, not equally, but sacrificially. And as a faithful giver in the life of our church today, there's not a story that has been told that you're not connected to. I think about the thousand plus orphans that have been sponsored. I think about the hundreds that have said yes to go on a mission trip. I think about the countless baptisms that we have had, the saved lives. I think about a widow who emailed us just this past week and said, through all my unfortunate hardships, God has provided people through Rolling Hills that I could count on. All of those stories you have played a part in. But now it's time to think about the stories that haven't been written. It's time to think about the stories that are still to be written. And so I want to ask you this morning to take a moment and close your eyes. And to the best of your ability this morning, I would love for you, if possible, to kind of cancel out everything that's happening around you. And I want you to um, ask God this morning to give you a vision of something that he wants to do that you can be a part of. I want you to just simply ask God this morning, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to do in our church? And show me how I can be a part of it. If you're a parent, um, maybe that picture you have in your mind right now is that moment that your child will accept Christ and you'll baptize them. Or maybe it's the opportunity to uh, step out in faith to lead a ministry at the community center. There's a seed that God has planted in your life right now to make a difference. And that's what God's going to propel you to do. Or maybe it's a broken person that God's going to bring into your life who might be under the weight of addiction and struggle. And God's going to bring them into your life and you're going to have an opportunity to minister to them. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to ask God to give you that vision. Ask him to bring that picture to mind today. And whatever that is right now in your mind, that is why next is important. And today is an opportunity to say, I want to be a part of the story. Those stories have so many connections. And this morning, may we all say, God, thank you in advance for allowing me to be a part of it. I want to close with a prayer that comes out of Ephesians 3. It has served as the benchmark verses of Rolling Hills Community Church for the past 20 years, and I can't think of a more fitting way 
to lead into our time of commitment than to pray these verses over you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.